Hi everyone, welcome back to Unstaged. I'm Jenna Van Weldon, and today we are doing part two of Ivanov, so acts three and four of the four-act play, which means at the end of this episode, we will have completed Chekhov's Ivanov. And next up will be a new work by James Egbert, so keep your eyes peeled for that. As always, I just want to give you a little reminder to subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, all the things you do with all your other favorite podcasts. Please do those for Unstaged because we're so happy you're here. And I also want to let everyone know that there's a link in every episode description box that'll take you to our anchor page where you can become a supporter of the podcast if you feel so inclined. No pressure. Just want to put that out there for anyone who's interested. Thank you so much for listening to Unstaged. Act three, library in Ivanov's house. On the walls hang maps, pictures, guns, pistols, sickles, whips, etc. A writing table. On it lie a disorder, knickknacks, papers, books, parcels, and several revolvers. Near the papers stand a lamp, a decanter of vodka, and a plate of salted herrings. Pieces of bread and a cucumber are scattered about. Shabelsky and Lebedev are sitting at the writing table. Borkin is sitting astride a chair in the middle of the room. Peter is standing near the door. The policy of France is clear and definite. The French know what they want. It is to skin those German sausages. But the Germans must sing another song. France is not the only thorn in their flesh. Nonsense. In my opinion, the Germans are cowards and the French are the same. They are showing their teeth at one another. You can take my word for it. They will not do more than that. They'll never fight. Why should they fight? All these congresses, this arming and expense. Do you know what I would do in their place? I would catch all the dogs in the kingdom and inoculate them with the pastor's serum. Then I would let them loose in the enemy's country, and the enemies would all go mad in a month. His head is small, but the great ideas are hidden away in it like fish in the sea. Oh, he is a genius. (laughs) Heaven help you, Misha. You are a funny chap. But how is this, gentlemen? Here we are talking Germany, Germany, and never a word about vodka. Repetiteur! Here's you all. This herring is the best of all relishes. No, no, these cucumbers are better. Every wise man since the creation of the world has been trying to invent something better than a salted cucumber, and not one has succeeded. Peter, go and fetch some more cucumbers. And Peter, tell the cook to make four little onion pasties and see that we get them hot. Caviar is good with vodka, but it must be prepared with skill. Take a quarter of a pound of pressed caviar, two little onions and a little olive oil, mix them together and put a slice of lemon on top. So, Lord, the very perfume would drive you crazy. Roast snipe are good too, but they must be cooked right. They should first be cleaned, then sprinkled with breadcrumbs and roasted until they will crackle between the teeth. Crunch, crunch. Mm. We had something good at Martha's yesterday. White mushrooms. You don't say so. And they were especially well prepared too, with onions and bay leaves and spices You know, when the dish was opened, the odor that floated out was simply intoxicating. What do you say, gentlemen? Repetiteur! Good health to you. I must be going. I can't wait for Nicholas. So you say Martha gave you mushrooms? We haven't seen one at home. 
Will you please tell me, Count, what plot you're hatching that takes you to Martha's so often? He wants to marry her. Wants you to marry her? How old are you? 62. Really? You're just the age to marry, aren't you? And Martha is just suited to you. This is not a question of Martha, but of Martha's money. Aren't you moonstruck? And don't you want the moon, too? Lorcan here is quite in earnest about it. The clever fellow is sure I shall obey orders and marry Martha. What do you mean? Aren't you sure yourself? Are you mad? I never was sure of anything, va? Many thanks. I am much obliged to you for the information. So you are trying to fool me, are you? First, you say you will marry Martha, then you say you won't. The devil only knows which you really mean, but I have given her my word of honor that you will. So you have changed your mind, have you? He is actually in earnest. What an extraordinary man. If that is how you feel about it, why have you turned an honest woman's head? Her heart is set on your title, and she can neither eat nor sleep for thinking of it. How can you make a jest of such things? Do you think such behavior is honorable? Well, why not play her this shabby trick after all, eh? Just out of spite? I shall certainly do it. Upon my word, I shall. What a joke it will be. Enter Lvov. We bow before you, Ascalapius. Doctor, doctor, save, oh, save me. I am scared to death of dying. Hasn't Ivanov come home yet? Not yet. I have been waiting for him, waiting for him myself for over an hour. Lvov walks impatiently up and down. How was Anna today? Very ill. May one go and pay one's respects to her? No, please don't. She's asleep, I believe. She is a lovely, charming woman. The day she fainted at our house, on Sasha's birthday, I saw that she had not much longer to live, poor thing. Let me see, why did she faint? When I ran up, she was lying on the floor, ashy white, with Nicholas on his knees beside her, and Sasha was standing by them in tears. Sasha and I went about almost crazy for a week after that. Tell me, most honored disciple of science, what scholar discovered that the frequent visits of a young doctor were beneficial to ladies suffering from affections of the chest? It is a remarkable discovery, remarkable. Would you call such treatment allopathic or homeopathic? Lvov tries to answer, but makes an impatient gesture instead and walks out of the room. What a withering look he gave me. Some fiend must prompt you to say such things. Why did you offend him? Why does he tell such lies? Consumption. No hope. She is dying. It is nonsense. I can't abide him. What makes you think he's lying? I can't bear to think that a living person could die like that, suddenly, without any reason at all. Don't let us talk about it. Krasich runs in panting. Is Ivanov home? How do you do? Is he at home? No, he isn't. In that case, I must say goodbye. I must be going. Business, you know? I'm absolutely exhausted. Run off my feet. Where did you blow in from? From Barabanov's. He and I have been playing cards all night. We've only just stopped. I have been absolutely fleeced. That Barabanov is a demon at cards. Just listen to this. I had a heart and he led a diamond. And I led a heart and he led another diamond. Well, he didn't take the trick. (laughs) 
we were playing three in clubs. I had the ace and queen and the ace and ten of spades. Spare me, for heaven's sake, spare me. Do you understand? I had the ace and queen of clubs and the ace and ten of spades. Go away. I don't want to listen to you. When suddenly misfortune overtook me, my ace of spades took the first trick and... Leave the room or I shall shoot. What does this mean? Is this the Australian bush where no one has any interests in common? Where there is no public spirit and each man lives for himself alone? However, I must be off. My time is precious. Pass. General laughter. Kosiak goes out. In the doorway, he runs into Avdotia. <laughs> I'm right to you. You nearly knocked me down. So this is where you all are. I've been looking for you all all over the house. Good day to you, boys. What she brings you here? Everybody. What brings Sorry. you here? <laughs> Business, my son. Business connected with your highness. She commanded me to bow and to inquire after your health. She told me to say, the little birdie, that if you did not come to see her this evening, she would cry her eyes out. Take him aside, she said, and whisper in his ear. Well, why should I make a secret of her message? You're not stealing chickens, but arranging an affair of lawful love by mutual consent of both parties. And now, although I never drink, I shall take a drop under these circumstances. So shall I. You must be immortal, you old magpie. You were an old woman when I first knew you, 30 years ago. I've lost count of the years. I've buried three husbands and would have married a fourth if anyone had wanted a woman without a dowry. I have had eight children. Well, we have begun a good work and may it come to a good end. They will live happily ever after and we shall enjoy their happiness. Love and good luck to them both. This is strong vodka. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, they actually think I am in earnest. How strange. And yet, Paul, why shouldn't I play her this shabby trick? Just out of spite? To give the devil something to do, eh, Paul? Hey, you're talking nonsense, Count. You and I must fix our thoughts on dying now. We have left Martha's money far behind us. Uh, our day is over. No. I shall certainly marry her. Upon my word, I shall. Enter Ivanov and Lvov. <clears throat> Will you please spare me five minutes of your time? Hello, Nicholas. How are you, old friend? I have been waiting an hour for you. How do you do, my son? So you have turned my library into a barroom again, have you? And yet I have begged you all a thousand times not to do so. There, you see? You have spilt vodka all over my papers and scattered crumbs and cucumbers everywhere. It's disgusting. I beg your pardon, Nicholas. Please forgive me. I have something very important to speak to you about. So have I. May I have a word with you? He wants to speak to me. Wait a minute. Well, what is it? Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. I want to speak to him in private. Shabelsky goes out, followed by Avdotia, Borkin, and Lvov. Paul, you may drink yourself as much as you choose. It is your weakness. But I must ask you not to make my uncle tipsy. He never used to drink at all. It's bad for him. My dear boy, I didn't know that. I wasn't thinking of him at all. If this old baby should die on my hands, the blame would be mine, not yours. Now, what do you want? 
The fact is, Nicholas, I really don't know how I can put it to make it seem less brutal. Uh, Nicholas, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm blushing. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. My dear boy, put yourself in my place. Remember that I am not a free man. I am as putty in the hands of my wife, a slave. Forgive me. What does this mean? My wife has sent me to you. Do me a favor. Be a friend to me. Pay her the interest on the money you owe her. Believe me, she has been tormenting me and going for me tooth and nail. For heaven's sake, free yourself from her clutches. You know, Paul, that I have no money now. I know, I know, but what can I do? She won't wait. If she should sue you for the money, how could Sasha and I ever look you in the face again? I am ready to sink through the floor with shame, Paul. But where, where shall I get the money? Tell me, where? There is nothing I can do but to wait until I sell my wheat in the autumn. But she won't wait. Your position is very delicate and unpleasant, but mine is even worse. I am at my wit's end. There is nothing I can sell now. You might go to Malbach and get some money from him. Doesn't he owe you 60,000 rubles? Listen to me, Nicholas. I know you will be angry, but you must forgive an old drunkard like me. This is between friends. Remember, I am your friend. We were students together, both liberals. We had the same interests and ideals. We studied together at the University of Moscow. It is our alma mater. I have a private fund here. Not a soul at home knows of its existence. Let me lend it to you. Forget your pride. This is between friends. I should take it from you. Indeed, I should. There, there's the money, 100,000 rubles. Take it. Go to her yourself and say, take the money, Zenaida. You may choke on your, you may choke on it. Only for heaven's sake, don't let her see by your manner that you got it from me or, or she would certainly go for me with her old jam. There, there, no matter. Don't take it, I was only joking. Forgive me, are you hurt? The truth is, this is a time of sorrow and pain for you. A man, brother, is like a samovar. He cannot always stand coolly on a shelf. Hot coals will be dropped into him one day, and then fizz. The, the comparison is idiotic, but it's the best I can think of. Misfortunes ring the soul, and yet I am not worried about it, brother. Wheat goes through the mill and comes out as flour, and you will come safely through your troubles, but I am annoyed, Nicholas, and angry with the people around you. The whole countryside is buzzing with gossip. Where does it start? They say you will soon be arrested for your debts, that you are a bloodthirsty monster, a murder, a, a monster of cruelty, a robber. Oh, that is nothing to me. My head is aching. Because you think so much. I never think. Oh, come, Nicholas, snap your fingers at the whole thing and drive over to visit us. Sasha loves and understands you. She is sweet. Honest, lovely girl, too good to be the child of her mother and me. Sometimes, when I look at her, I cannot believe that such a treasure could belong to a fat old drunkard like me. Go to her. Talk to her and let her cheer you. She is a good, true-hearted girl. Paul, my dear friend, please go and leave me alone. I understand. I understand. Yes, I understand. Goodbye. I must go to the blessing of the school now. She is so clever. Sasha and I were talking about gossiping yesterday and she flashed out this epigram. Father, she says, fireflies shine at night so that ni the night birds may make them pray. And good people are made to be preyed upon by gossips and slanderers. Where do you think she heard of that? Where do you think? She is a genius, another George Sand.
Paul, what is the matter with me? I've wanted to ask you that myself, but I must confess I was ashamed to. I don't know, old chap. Sometimes I think your troubles have been too heavy for you, and yet I know you are not the kind to give in to them. You would not be overcome by misfortune. It must be something else. Nichols, but what it may be, I can't imagine. I can't imagine either what the matter is, unless, and yet no. Well, do you see, this is what I wanted to say. I used to have a workman called Simon. You remember him? Once at threshing time, to show the girls how strong he was, he loaded himself with two sacks of rye and broke his back. He died soon after. I think I have broken my back also. First I went to school, then to the university, then came the cares of this estate, all my plans. I didn't believe what others did, did not marry as others did. I worked passionately, risked everything. No one else, as you know, threw their money away to right and left as I did. So I heaped the burdens on my back and it broke. We are all heroes at 20, ready to attack anything, to do everything, and at 30 are worn out, useless men. How, oh, how do you account for this weariness? However, I may be quite wrong. Go away, Paul, I'm boring you. I know what is the matter with you, old man. You got out of bed on the wrong side this morning. That is stupid, Paul, and stale. Go away. It is stupid, certainly. <laughs> I see that myself now. I am going at once. I am a worthless, miserable, useless man. Only a man equally miserable and suffering as Paul is could love or esteem me now. Good God. How I loathe myself. How bitterly I hate my voice, my hands, my thoughts, these clothes, each step I take. How ridiculous it is, how disgusting. Less than a year ago, I was healthy and strong, full of pride and energy and enthusiasm. I worked with these hands here and my words could move the dullest man to tears. I could weep with sorrow and grow indignant at the sight of wrong. I could feel the glow of inspiration and understand the beauty and romance of the silent nights, which I used to watch through from evening until dawn, sitting at my work table and giving up my soul to dreams. I believed in a bright future then and looked into it as trustfully as a child looks into its mother's eyes and now, oh, it's terrible. I'm tired and without hope. I spend my days and nights in idleness. I have no control over my feet or brain. My estate is ruined. My woods are falling under the blows of the axe. My neglected land looks up at me as reproachfully as an orphan. I expect nothing and sorry for nothing. My whole soul trembles at the thought of each new day. And what can I think of my treatment of Sarah? I promise her love and happiness forever. 
I opened her eyes to the promise of a future such as she had never even dreamed of. She believed me. And through for five years, I have seen her sinking under the weight of her sacrifices to me and losing her strength and her struggles with her conscience. God knows she has never given me one angry look or uttered one word of reproach. What is the result? That I don't love her. Why? Is it possible? Can it be true? I can't understand. She's suffering. Her days are numbered. Yet I fly like a contemptible coward from her white face, her sunken chest, her pleading eyes. Oh, I am ashamed. Ashamed. Sasha, a young girl, is sorry for me and my misery. She confesses to me that she loves me. Me, almost an old man. Whereupon I lose my head and exalted as if by music, I yell, hurrah for a new life and a new happiness. Next day, I believe in this new life and happiness as little as I believe in my happiness at home. What is the matter with me? What is this pit I am wallowing in? What is the cause of this weakness? Where does this nervousness come from? If my sick wife wounds my pride, if a servant makes a mistake, if my gun misses fire, I lose my temper and get violent and altogether unlike myself. I can't, I can't understand it. The easiest way out would be a bullet through my head. Enter Lvov. I must have an explanation with you, Ivanov. If we are going to have an explanation every day, doctor, we shall neither of us have the strength to stand. Will you be good enough to hear me? I have heard all you have told me every day and have failed to discover yet what you want me to do. I've always spoken plainly enough and only an utterly heartless and cruel man could fail to understand me. I know that my wife is dying. I know that I have sinned irreparably. I know that you are an honest man. What more can you tell me? The sight of human cruelty maddens me. The woman is dying and she has a mother and father whom she loves and longs to see once more before she dies. They know that she is dying and that she loves them still, but with diabolical cruelty, as if to flaunt their religious zeal, they refuse to see her and forgive her. You are the man for whom she has sacrificed her home, her peace of mind, everything. Yet you unblushingly go gating to the Lebedevs every evening for reasons that are absolutely unmistakable. Oh, me. It is two weeks since I was there. Two men like yourself, one must speak plainly. And if you don't want to hear what I have to say, you need not listen. I always call a spade a spade. The truth is, you want her to die so that the way may be clear for your other schemes. But can't you wait? If instead of crushing the life out of your wife by your heartless egotism, you let her die naturally, do you think you will lose Sasha and Sasha's money? She, such an absolute tartuffe as you are could turn the girl's head and get her money a year from now as easily as you could today. Why are you in such a hurry? Why do you want your wife to die now instead of in a month's time or years? This is torture. You are a, a very bad doctor if you think a man can control himself forever. And it's all I can do not to answer your insults. Look here, 
Whom are you trying to deceive? Throw off your disguise. You, who are so clever, you think that nothing in the world is easier than to understand me, do you? I married Annie for her money, did I? And when her parents wouldn't give it to me, I changed my plans and am now hustling her out of the world so that I may marry another woman who will bring me what I want. You think so, do you? Oh, how easy and simple it all is. But you are mistaken, doctor. In each one of us, there are too many springs, too many wheels and cogs for us to judge each other by first impressions or by two or three external indications. I cannot understand you. You cannot understand me. And neither of us can understand himself. A man may be a splendid doctor and at the same time a very bad judge of human nature. You will admit that unless you are too self-confident. Do you really think that your character is so mysterious and that I am too stupid to tell vice from virtue? It is clear that we shall never agree. So let me beg you to answer me now without any more preamble. Exactly what do you want me to do? What are you after anyway? And with whom have I the honor of speaking? With my lawyer or with my wife's doctor? I am a doctor, and as such, I demand that you change your conduct towards your wife. It is killing her. What shall I do? Tell me. If you understand me so much better than I understand myself, for heaven's sake, tell me exactly what to do. In the first place, don't be so unguarded in your behavior. Heaven help me. Do you mean to say that you understand yourself? Now, go away. I am guilty a thousand times over. I shall answer for my sins before God, but nothing has given you the right to torture me daily as you do. Who has given you the right to insult my sense of honor? You have maddened and poisoned my soul. Before I came to this place, I knew that stupid, crazy, deluded people existed, but I had never imagined that anyone could be so criminal as to turn his mind deliberately in the direction of wickedness. I loved and esteemed humanity, but since I have known you... I have heard all that before. You have, have you? He goes out, shrugging his shoulders. He sees Sasha, who comes in at this moment dressed for writing. Now, however, I hope that we can understand one another. Oh, Sasha, is that you? Yes, it is I. How are you? You didn't expect me, did you? Why haven't you been to see us? Sasha, this is really imprudent of you. Your coming will have a terrible effect on my wife. She won't see me. I came in by the back entrance. I shall go in a minute. I'm so anxious about you. Tell me, are you well? Why haven't you been to see us for such a long time? My wife is offended already and almost dying. And now you come here, Sasha. Sasha, this is thoughtless and unkind of you. How could I help coming? It is two weeks since you were at our house, and you have not answered my letters. I imagined you suffering dreadfully, or ill, or dead. I've not slept for nights. I'm going now, but first tell me that you are well. No, I am not well. I am a torment to myself, and everyone torments me without end. I can't stand it. And now you come here. How morbid and unnatural it all is, Sasha. I am terribly guilty. What dreadful, pitiful speeches you make. So you are guilty, are you? Tell me then, 
What is it you have done? I don't know. I don't know. That is no answer. Every sinner should know what he is guilty of. Perhaps you have been forging money. That's stupid. Or are you guilty because you no longer love your wife? Perhaps you are, but no one is master of his feelings, and you did not mean to stop loving her. Do you feel guilty because she saw me telling you that I love you? No, that cannot be, because you did not want her to see it. And so on and so on. First you say I love, and then you say I don't. That I am not master of my feelings. All these are commonplace, worn-out sentiments with which you cannot help me. It's impossible to talk to you. How well those dogs are drawn. Were they done from life? Yes, from life. And this whole romance of ours is a tedious old story. A man loses heart and begins to go down in the world. A girl appears, brave and strong of heart, and gives him a hand to help him to rise again. Such situations are pretty, but they are only found in novels and not in real life. No, they are found in real life, too. Now I see how well you understand real life. My sufferings seem noble to you. You imagine you have discovered in me a second Hamlet. My state of mind, in all its phases, is only fit to furnish food for contempt and derision. My contortions are ridiculous enough to make one die of laughter. And you want to play the guardian angel. And you want to do a noble deed and save me. Oh, how I hate myself today. I feel that this tension must soon be relieved in some way. Either I shall break something or else... That is exactly what you need. Let yourself go. Smash something. Break it to pieces. Give a yell. You are angry with me? It was foolish of me to come here? Very well, then get excited about it. Storm at me. Stamp your feet. Well, aren't you getting angry? You ridiculous girl. Splendid, so we are smiling at last. Be kind, do me the favor of smiling once more. I have noticed that whenever you start reforming me and saving my soul and teaching me how to be good, your face grows naive. Oh, so naive, and your eyes grow as wide as if you were looking at a comet. Wait a moment, your shoulder is covered with dust. A naive man is nothing better than a fool. But you women contrive to be naive in such a way that in you it seems sweet and gentle and proper and not as silly as it really is. What a strange way you have, though, of ignoring a man as long as he is well and happy and fastening yourselves to him as soon as he begins to whine and go downhill. Do you actually think it is worse to be the wife of a strong man than to nurse some whimpering invalid? Yes. It is worse. Why do you think so? <laughs> it is a good thing Darwin can't hear you what you are saying. He would be furious with you for degrading the human race. Soon, thanks to your kindness, only invalids and hypochondriacs will be born into the world. There are a great many things a man cannot understand. Any girl would rather love an unfortunate man than a fortunate one, because every girl would like to do something by loving. A man has his work to do, and so for him, love is kept in the background. To talk to his wife, to walk with her in the garden, to pass the time pleasantly with her, that is all that love means to a man. But for us, love means life. 
I love you. That means that I dream only of how I shall cure you of your sadness, how I shall go with you to the ends of the earth. If you are in heaven, I am in heaven. If you are in the pit, I am in the pit. For instance, it would be the greatest happiness for me to write all night for you or watch all night that no one should wake you. I remember that three years ago at threshing time, you came to us all dusty and sunburned and tired and asked for a drink. When I brought you a glass of water, you were already lying on the sofa and sleeping like a dead man. You slept there for half a day. And all that time, I watched by the door that no one should disturb you. How happy I was. The more a girl can do, the greater her love will be. That is, I mean, the more she feels it. The love that accomplishes things. Hmm. That is a fairy tale. A girl's dream. And yet... Perhaps it is as it should be. How can I tell? <laughs> On my honor, Sasha, I really am quite a respectable man. Judge for yourself. I have always liked to discuss things, but I have never in my life said that our women were corrupt or that such and such a woman was on the downhill path. I have always been grateful and nothing more. Oh, nothing more. Dear child, how comical you are. And what a ridiculous old stupid I am. I shock all good Christian folk and go about complaining from morning to night. <laughs> but you must go, Sasha. We have forgotten ourselves. Yes, it is time to go. Goodbye. I'm afraid that that honest doctor of yours will have told Anna out of a sense of duty that I am here. Take my advice. Go at once to your wife and stay with her. Stay and stay and stay. And if it should be for a year, you must still stay. Or for 10 years, it is your duty. You must repent and ask her forgiveness and weep. That is what you ought to do. And the great thing is not to forget to do the right thing. Again, I feel as if I were going crazy. Again. Well, heaven help you. You must forget me entirely. In two weeks, you must send me a line, and I shall be content with that. But I shall write to you. Borkin looks in at the door. Even uh, may I come in? Oh, I beg your pardon. I did not see you. Bonjour. How do you do? You are plumper and prettier than ever. I must go, Nicholas. I must go. What a beautiful apparition. I came expecting prose and found poetry instead. You showed yourself to the world as a bird. Ivanov walks excitedly up and down. <sighs> There's something in her, Nicholas, that one doesn't find in other women, isn't there? An elfin strangeness. <sighs> Although she is without doubt the richest girl in the country, her mother is so stingy that no one will have her. After her mother's death, Sasha will have the whole fortune. But until then, she will only give her 10,000 rubles and an old flat iron. And to get that, she will have to humble herself to the ground. <laughs> will you have a smoke? These are very good. Leave my house this instant. And don't you ever dare to set foot in it again. Go this instant. Go at once. Borkin gets up and drops his cigarette. Nicholas, what do you mean? 
Why are you so angry? Why? Where did you get those cigarettes? Where? You think perhaps that I don't know where you take the old man every day and for what purpose? What business is it of yours? You, blackguard you. The disgraceful rumors that you have been spreading about me have made me disreputable in the eyes of the whole countryside. You and I have nothing in common, and I ask you to leave my house this instant. I know that you are saying all this in a moment of irritation, and so I am not angry with you. Insult me as much as you please. It is time, though, to shake off this melancholy of yours. You're not a schoolboy. What did I tell you? Are you making fun of me? Enter Anna. There now, there comes Anna. I shall go. Ivanov stops near the table and stands with his head bowed. What did she come here for? What did she come here for, I ask you? Don't ask me, Annie. I am terribly guilty. Think of any punishment you want to inflict on me. I can stand anything, but don't, oh, don't ask questions. So that is the kind of man you are? Now I understand you and can see how degraded, how dishonorable you are. Do you remember that you came to me once and lied to me about your love? I believed you and left my my father and my faith to follow you. Yes, you lied to me of goodness and honor, of your noble aspirations, and I believed every word. I have never lied to you, Annie. I have lived with you five years now, and I am tired and ill. But I have always loved you and have never left you for a moment. You have been my idol. And what have you done? All this time you've been deceiving me in the most dastardly way. Annie, don't say what isn't so. I have made mistakes, but I, ne I have never told a lie in my life. You dare not accuse me of that. It is all clear to me now. You married me because you expected my mother and father to forgive me and give you my money. That is what you expected. Good Lord, Annie. If I must suffer like this, I must have the patience to bear it. Be quiet. When you found that I wasn't bringing you any money, you tried another game. Now I remember. And I understand everything. You have never loved me. Or been faithful to me. Never. Sarah, that is a lie. Say what you want, but don't insult me with a lie. You dishonest, degraded man. You owe money to Lebedoff, and now to escape paying your debts, you are trying to turn the head of his daughter and betray her as you have betrayed me. Can you deny it? For heaven's sake, be quiet. I cannot answer for what I may do. I am joking with rage, and I, I might insult you. I am not the only one whom you have basely deceived. You have always blamed Borkin for all your dishonest tricks, but now I know whose they are. Sarah, stop at once and go away, or else I shall say something terrible. I long to say a dreadful, cruel thing. Hold your tongue, Jewess! I won't hold my tongue. You have deceived me for too long for me to be silent now. 
So you won't be quiet. Go, for heaven's sake. Go now and betray Sasha. Know then that you are dying. The doctor told me that you are dying. When did he? Oh, how guilty I am. How guilty. The curtain falls. About a year passes between the third and fourth acts. Act four, a sitting room in Lebedev's house. In the middle of the wall at the back of the room is an arch dividing the sitting room from the ballroom. To the right and left are doors. Some old bronzes are placed about the room. Family portraits are hanging on the walls. Everything arranged as if for some festivity. On the piano lies a violin. Near it stands a violoncello. During the entire act, guests dressed as for a ball are seen walking about in the ballroom. Enter Lvov looking at his watch. It is five o'clock. The ceremony must have began. First the priest will bless them and then they will be led to the church to be married. Is this how virtue and justice triumph, not being able to rob Sarah? He has tortured her to death and now he has found another victim whom he will deceive until he has robbed her and then he will get rid of her as he got rid of poor Sarah. It's the same old sordid story. He will live to a fine old age in the seventh heaven of happiness and will die with a clear conscience. No, Ivanov, it shall not be. I shall drag your villainy to light. And when I tear off the accursed mask of yours and show you to the world as the blackguard you are, you shall come plunging down headfirst from your seventh heaven into a pit so deep that the devil himself will not be able to drag you out of it. I am a man of honor. It is my duty to interfere in such cases as yours and I, and to open the eyes of the blind. I shall fulfill my mission and tomorrow you will find me far away from this accursed place. But what shall I do? To have an explanation with Lebedev would be a hopeless task. Shall I make a scandal and challenge Ivanov to a duel? I am as excited as a child and have entirely lost the power of planning anything. What shall I do? Shall I fight a duel? Enter Kosiak. He goes gaily up to Lvov. I declared a little slam in clubs yesterday and made a grand slam. Only that man Barabinov spoiled the whole game for me again. We were playing. Well, I said no trumps and he said pass. Two in clubs, he passed again. I made it to two in hearts. He said three in clubs and just imagine, can you, what happened? I declared a little slam and he never showed his ace. If he had showed his ace, the villain, I should have declared a grand slam and no trumps. Excuse me, I don't play cards, and so it is impossible for me to share your enthusiasm. When does the ceremony begin? At once, I think. They are, going, they are now bringing Zuzu to herself again. She is bellowing like a bull. She can't bear to see the money go. And what about the daughter? No, no, it is the money. She doesn't like this affair anyway. He is marrying her daughter, and that means he won't pay his debts for a long time. One can't sue one's son-in-law. Martha, very much dressed up, struts across the stage past Lvov and Kosich. The latter bursts out laughing behind his hand. Martha looks around. <laughs> Idiot! <sighs> Kosich digs her in the ribs and laughs loudly. Or... <laughs> The woman's head has been turned. Before she fixed her eye on a title, she was like any other woman. But there is no coming near her now. 
a bore indeed. Listen to me. Tell me honestly, what do you think of Ivana? Oh, he's no good at all. He plays cards like a lunatic. This is what happened last year during Lent. I, the Count Borkin, he sat down for a game of cards. I led a... Is he a good man? He? Yes, he's a good one. He and the Count are a pair of trumps. They have keen noses for a good game. First, Ivanov set, uh, first, Ivanov set his heart on the Jewess. Then, when his schemes failed in that quarter, he turned his thoughts toward Zuzu's money bags. I'll wager you he'll ruin Zuzu in a year. He will ruin Zuzu, and the Count will ruin Martha. They will gather up all the money they can lay hands on and live happily ever after. But, Doctor, why are you so pale today? You look like a ghost. Oh, it's nothing. I drank a little too much yesterday. Enter Lebedev with Sasha. We can have our talk here. Uh, go into the ballroom, you two old fogies, and talk to the girls. Sasha and I want to talk alone here. What a picture. A queen of trumps. Go along, you old cave dweller. Go along. Kosich and Lvov go out. Sit down, Sasha, there. Listen to me attentively and with proper respect. The fact is... Your mother has asked me to say this. Do you understand? I am not speaking for myself. Your mother told me to speak to you. I do say it briefly. When you are married, we mean to give you 15,000 rubles. Uh, please don't let us have any discussion about it afterward. Uh, wait now, be quiet. That is only the beginning. The best is yet to come. We have allotted you 15,000 rubles. But in consideration of the fact that Nicholas owes your mother 9,000, that sum will have to be deducted from the amount we need to give you. Uh, very well. Now, beside that... Why do you tell me all this? Your mother told me to. Leave me in peace. If you had any respect for yourself or me, you could not permit yourself to speak to me in this way. I don't want your money. I have not asked for it, and I never shall. What are you attacking me for? The two rats in Gogol's fable sniffed first and then ran away, but you attacked without even sniffing. Oh, leave me in peace and do not offend my ears with your two-penny calculations. Bah! You all, every one of you, do all you can to make me uh, cut my throat or kill somebody. One of you screeches and fusses all day and counts every penny, and the other is so clever and humane and emancipated that she cannot understand her own father. I offend your ears, do I? Don't you realize that before I came here to offend your ears, I was being torn to pieces over there, literally drawn and quartered, so you cannot understand? You, have, you two have addled my brain till I am utterly at my wit's end. Indeed, I am. I don't like this business at all. I don't like anything about you. What is it especially that you don't like? Everything. Everything. What do you mean by everything? Let me explain exactly what I mean. Everything displeases me. As for your marriage, I simply can't abide it. Forgive me, little Sasha. This marriage may be a wise one. It may be honest and not misguided. Nevertheless, there is something about the whole affair that is not right. No, not right. You are not marrying as other girls do. You are young and fresh and pure as a drop of water. He is a widower, battered and worn. Heaven help him. I don't understand him at all. Forgive me for saying so, Sasha but I am sure there is something crooked about this affair. It is making a great deal of talk. It seems people are saying that first Sarah died, and then suddenly Ivanov wanted to marry you. But no, I am an old woman. I am gossiping like a magpie. You must not listen to me or anyone only to your own heart. Papa, I feel myself that there is something wrong about my marriage. Something wrong. Yes, wrong. 
Oh, if only you knew how heavy my heart is. This is unbearable. I'm frightened and ashamed to confess this. Papa, darling, you must help me, for heaven's sake. Oh, can't you tell me what I should do? What is the matter, Sasha? What is it? I am so frightened. More frightened than I have ever been before. I cannot understand him now, and I never shall. He has not smiled or looked straight into my eyes once since we have been engaged. He is forever complaining and apologizing for something, hinting at some crime he is guilty of, and trembling. I am so tired. There are even moments when I think, I think that I do not love him as I should. And when he comes to see us or talks to me, I get so tired. What does it mean, dear father? I am afraid. My darling, my only child, do as your old father advises you. Give him up. Oh, how can you say that? Yes, do it, little Sasha. It will make a scandal. All the tongues in the country will be wagging about it, but it is better to live down a scandal than to ruin one's life. Don't say that, Father. Oh, don't. I refuse to listen. I must crush such gloomy thoughts. He is good and unhappy and misunderstood. I shall love him and learn to understand him. I shall set him on his feet again. I shall do my duty. That is settled. This is not your duty, but a delusion. We have said enough. I have confessed things to you that I have not dared to admit even to myself. Don't speak about this to anyone. Let us forget it. I am hopelessly puzzled, and either my mind is going from old age, or else you have all grown very clever. But I'll be hanged if I understand this business at all. Enter Shavelsky. Confound you all, and myself too. This is maddening. What do you want? Seriously. I must really do something horrid and rascally so that not only I, but everybody else will be disgusted by it. I certainly shall find something to do. Upon my word, I shall. I've already told Borkin to announce that I am to be married. <laughs> everybody is a scoundrel, and I must be one too. I am tired of you, Matthew. Look here. Man, you talk in such a way that, excuse my saying so, you will soon find yourself in a lunatic asylum. Could a lunatic asylum possibly be worse than this house or any other? Kindly take me there at once. Please do. Everybody is wicked and futile and worthless and stupid. I am an object of disgust to myself. I don't believe a word, I say. Let me give you a piece of advice, old man. Fill your mouth full of tow. Light it and blow it, everybody. Or better still, take your hat and go home. This is a wedding. We all want to enjoy ourselves, and you are croaking like a raven. Yes, really. Goodness gracious, Matthew. Count, what is it, dear Matthew, old friend? Have I offended you? There, forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt you. Come, drink some water. I don't want any water. What are you crying about? Nothing in particular. I was just crying. Matthew, tell me the truth. What is it? What has happened? I caught sight of the violoncello. And, and I remember the Jewess. What an unfortunate moment you have chosen to remember her. Peace be with her. But don't think of her now. We used to play duets together. She was a beautiful, glorious woman. What? Are you crying too? Stop, Sasha. Dear me. They're both howling. And now I... Do go away. The guest will see you. Paul. 
when the sun is shining. It is gay even in a cemetery. One can be cheerful even in old age if it is lighted by hope. But I have nothing to hope for. Not a thing. Yes, it is rather sad for you. You have no children, no money, no occupation. Well, but what is there to be done about it? Uh, what's the matter with you, Sasha? Paul, give me some money. I will repay you in the next world. I would go to Paris and see my wife's grave. I have given away a great deal of money in my life, half my fortune indeed. And I have a right to ask for some now. Besides, I am asking for a friend. My dear boy, I haven't a penny. All right, though, that is to say, I can't promise anything, but do you understand? Very well, very well. This is agony. Enter Martha. Where is my partner? Count, how dare you leave me alone? You are horrid. Leave me alone. I can't abide you. How? What? Go away. Oh, oh, oh. She burst into tears. Enter Zenaida crying. Someone has just arrived. It must be one of the ushers. It is time for the ceremony to begin. Mother! Well, now you're all bawling. What a quartet. Come, come, don't let us have any more of this dampness. Matthew, Martha, if you go on like this, I, I, I shall cry too. Heaven. If you don't need your mother anymore, if you are determined not to obey her, I shall have to do as you want. And you have my blessing. Enter Ivanov dressed in a long coat with gloves on. This is the finishing touch. What do you want? Why are you here? I beg your pardon. You must allow me to speak to Sasha alone. The bridegroom must not come to see the bride before the wedding. It is time for you to go to the church. Paul, I implore you. Lebedev shrugs his shoulders. Lebedev, Zinaida, Shabelsky, and Martha go out. What do you want? I am choking with anger. I cannot speak calmly. Listen to me. As I was dressing just now for the wedding, I looked in the glass and saw how gray my temples were. Sasha, this must not be. Let us end this senseless comedy before it is too late. You're young and pure. You have all your life before you. But I... The same old story. I've heard it a thousand times and I am tired of it. Go quickly to the church and don't keep everybody waiting. I shall go straight home and you must explain to your family somehow that there is to be no wedding. Explain it as you please. It is time we came to our senses. I have been playing the part of a Hamlet and you have been playing the part of a noble and devoted girl. We have kept up the farce long enough. How can you speak to me like this? I won't have it. But I am speaking and will continue to speak. What do you mean by coming to me like this? Your melancholy has become absolutely ridiculous. No, this is not melancholy. It is ridiculous, is it? Yes, I am laughing. And if it were possible for me to laugh at myself a thousand times more bitterly, I should do so. And set the whole world laughing too, in derision. A fierce light has suddenly broken over my soul. As I looked into the glass just now, I laughed at myself and nearly went mad with shame. <laughs> Melancholy indeed. Noble grief. 
uncontrollable sorrow. It only remains for me now to begin to write verses. Shall I mope and complain, sadden everybody I meet, confess that my manhood has gone forever, that I have decayed, outlived my purpose, that I have given myself up to cowardice and am bound hand and foot by this loathsome melancholy? Shall I confess all this when the sun is shining so brightly and when even the ants are carrying their little burdens and peaceful self-content? No, thanks. Can I endure the knowledge that one will look upon me as a fraud, how another pities me, a third lends me a helping hand, or worst of all, a fourth listens reverently to my sighs, looks upon me as a new Mahomet, and expects me to expound a new religion every moment? No. Thank God for the pride and conscience he has left me still. On my way here, I laughed at myself, and it seemed to me that the flowers and birds were laughing mockingly too. This is not anger, but madness. You think so, do you? No, I'm not mad. I see things in the right light now, and my mind is as clear as your conscience. We love each other, but we shall never be married. It makes no sense how I rave and grow bitter with myself, but I have no right to drag another down with me. My melancholy robbed my wife and the last year of her life. Since you have been engaged to me, you have forgotten how to laugh and have aged five years. Your father, to whom life was always simple and clear, thanks to me, is now unable to understand anybody. Wherever I go, whether hunting or visiting, makes no difference. I carry depression, dullness, and discontent along with me. Wait, don't interrupt me. I am bitter and harsh, I know, but I am stifled with rage. I cannot speak otherwise. I have never lied, and I never used to find fault with my lot, but since I have begun to, begun to complain of everything, I find fault with it involuntarily and against my will. When I murmur at my fate, everyone who hears me is seized with the same disgust of life and begins to grumble too. And what a strange way I have of looking at things, exactly as if I were doing the world a favor by living in it. Oh, I am contemptible. Wait a moment. From what you have just said, it is obvious that you are tired of your melancholy mood and that the time has come for you to begin life afresh. How splendid! I don't see anything splendid about it. How can I lead a new life? I am lost forever. In this time, we both understand that. A new life indeed. Nicholas, come to your senses. How can you say you are lost? What do you mean by such cynicism? No. I won't listen to you or talk with you. Go to the church. I am lost. Don't talk so loud, our guests will hear you. If an intelligent, educated, and healthy man begins to complain of his lot and go downhill, there is nothing for him to do but to go on down until he reaches the bottom. There is no hope for him. Where could my salvation come from? How can I save myself? I cannot drink, because it makes my headache. I never could write bad poetry. I cannot pray for strength and 
see anything lofty in the languor of my soul. Laziness is laziness, and weakness, weakness. I can find no other names for them. I am lost. I am lost. There is no doubt of that. Someone might come in. Listen, Sasha, if you love me, you must help me. Pronounce me this minute quickly. Oh, Nicholas, if you only knew how you are torturing me, what agony I have to endure for your sake. Good, thoughtful friend, judge for yourself. Can I possibly solve such a problem? Each day you put some horrible problem before me, each one more difficult than the last. I wanted to help you with my love, but this is martyrdom. And when you are my wife, the problems will be harder than ever. Understand this. It is not love that is urging you to take this step, but the obstinacy of an honest nature. You have undertaken to reawaken the man in me and to save me in the face of every difficulty. And you are flattered by the hope of achieving your object. You are willing to give up now, but you are prevented from doing it by a feeling that is a false one. Understand yourself. What strange, wild reasoning. How can I give you up now? How can I? You have no mother or sister or friends. You are ruined. Your estate has been destroyed. Everyone is speaking ill of you. It was foolish of me to come here. I should have done as I wanted to. Enter Lebedev. Father, he has rushed over here like a madman and is torturing me. He insists that I should refuse to marry him. He says he doesn't want to drag me down with him. Tell him that I won't accept his generosity. I know what I'm doing. I can't understand a word of what you're saying. What generosity? This marriage is not going to take place. It is going to take place. Papa, tell him that it is going to take place. Uh, wait, 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 what objection do you have to marriage? I have explained it all to her, but she refuses to understand me. Uh, don't explain it to her, but to me, and explain it so that I may understand. God forgive you, Nicholas. You have brought a great deal of darkness into our lives. I feel as if I were living in a museum. I look about me and don't understand anything I see. This is torture. What on earth can an old man like me do with you? Shall I challenge you to a duel? There is no need of a duel. All you need is a head on your shoulders and a knowledge of the Russian language. This is dreadful, dreadful, absolutely childish. Listen to me, Nicholas. From your point of view, what you're doing is quite right and proper according to the rules of psychology, but I think this affair is a scandal and a great misfortune. I am an old man. Hear me out for the last time. This is what I want to say to you. Calm yourself. Look at things simply, as everyone else does. This is a simple world. The ceiling is white. Your boots are black. Sugar is sweet. You love Sasha and she loves you. If you love her, stay with her. If you don't, leave her. We shan't blame you. It's all perfectly simple. You're two healthy, intelligent, moral young people. Thank God you both have food and clothing. What more do you want? What if you have no money? That is no great misfortune. Happiness is not bought with wealth. Of course, your estate is mortgaged, Nicholas. As I know, you have no money to pay the interest on the debt. But I am Sasha's father. I understand. Her mother can do as she likes. If she won't give any money, why, confound her, then she needn't, that's all. Sasha has just said that she does not want any, her part of it. As for your principles, Schopenhauer and all that, it's all folly. I have 100,000 rubles in the bank. 
not a soul in the house know it. It was my grandmother's money. That shall be for you both. Take it. Give Matthew 2,000. And... The guests begin to collect in the ballroom. It is no use discussing it anymore. I must act as my conscience bids me. And I shall act as my conscience bids me. You may say what you please. I refuse to let you go. I'm going to call my mother. I am utterly puzzled. Listen to me, poor old friend. I shall not try to explain myself to you. I shall not tell you whether I am honest or a rascal, healthy or mad. You wouldn't understand me. I was young once. I have been eager and sincere and intelligent. I have loved and hated and believed as no one else has. I have worked and hoped and tilled, tilted against windmills with the strength of 10, not sparing my strength, not knowing what life was. I shouldered a load that broke my back. I drank, I, I worked, I excited myself. My energy knew no bounds. Tell me, could I have done otherwise? There are so few of us and so much to do, so much to do. And see how cruelly fate has revenged herself on me, who fought with her so bravely. I am a broken man. I am old at 30. I have submitted myself to old age with a heavy head and a sluggish mind, weary, used up, discouraged, without faith or love or an object in life. I wander like a shadow among other men, not knowing why I am alive or what it is that I want. Love seems to me to be folly, caresses false. I see no sense in working or playing and all passionate speeches seem insipid and tiresome. So I carry my sadness with me wherever I go. The cold weariness and discontent, the horror of life. Yes, I am lost forever and ever. Before you stands a man who at 35 is disillusioned, wearied by fruitless efforts, burning with shame and mocking at his own weakness. <laughs> oh, how my pride rebels against it all. What mad fury chokes me. I am staggering. My strength is failing me. Where is Matthew? Let him take me home. The best man has arrived. Enter Shabelsky. In an old worn out coat without gloves? How many scornful glances I get for it. Such silly jokes and vulgar grins. Disgusting people. Enter Borkin quickly. He's carrying a bunch of flowers and is in a dress coat. He wears a flower in his buttonhole. This is dreadful. Where is he? They have been waiting for you for a long time in the church, and here you are talking philosophy. What a funny chap you are. Don't you know you must not go to church with the bride, but alone with me? I shall then come back for her. Is it possible you have not understood that? You certainly are an extraordinary man. Enter Lvov. Ah, so you are here. Nicholas Ivanov, I denounce you to the world as a scoundrel. Many thanks. Sir, this is dastardly. I challenge you to a duel. Monsieur Borkin, I count it as a disgrace not only to fight with you, but even to talk to you. Monsieur Ivanov, however, can receive satisfaction from me whenever he chooses. Sir, I shall fight you. 
Why, oh why, have you insulted him? Gentlemen, I beg you, let him tell me why he has insulted him. Miss Sasha, I have not insulted him without cause. I came here as a man of honor to open your eyes, and I beg you to listen to what I have to tell you. What can you possibly have to tell me? That you are a man of honor? The whole world knows it. You had better tell me on your honor whether you understand what you have done or not. You have come in here as a man of honor and have insulted him so terribly that you have nearly killed me. When you used to follow him like a shadow and almost keep him from living, you were convinced that you were doing your duty and that you were acting like a man of honor. When you interfered in his private affairs, maligned him and criticized him, when you sent me and whomever else you could anonymous letters, you imagined yourself to be an honorable man. And thinking that that too was honorable, you, a doctor, did not even spare his dying wife or give her a moment's peace from your suspicions. And no matter what violence, what cruel wrong you committed, you still imagined yourself to be unusually honorable and clear-sighted man. <laughs> this is not a wedding, but a parliament. Bravo. Bravo. Now think it over. Do you see what sort of a man you are or not? Oh, the stupid, heartless people. Come away from here, Nicholas. Come, Father, let us go. Where shall we go? Wait a moment. I shall soon put an end to the whole thing. My youth is awake in me again. The former Ivanov is here once more. He takes out a revolver. I know what he wants to do. Nicholas, for God's sake! I have been slipping downhill long enough. Now halt. It is time to know what honor is. Out of the way. Thank you, Sasha. Nicholas, for God's sake, hold him! Let go! He rushes aside and shoots himself. The curtain falls. And that was it for Chekhov's Ivanov. We hope you enjoyed listening to the play as much as we enjoyed reading it. Next week, we'll be back on Unstaged with James Egbert's new collection of plays, Zugzwang. A lot of um, conversation with the playwright and with myself and with the actors on this episode. It's really fascinating stories being told and a lot of great humor and really insightful playwriting from James. So we hope you'll tune in and listen to that. I also want to remind everyone, please subscribe, rate, review, share this podcast with your friends. And of course, if you want to get involved, please reach out. We'd love to find a way to get you involved. Thanks again so much for listening to Unstaged. I always love how funny these, I mean, they're just so freaking funny. And then it's like Susie and I were talking about how like Chekhov, like the great thing about him is like the first time you read it, it's hilarious. And then the second time you read it, you know what's going to happen. So it's just tragic the whole time. Yeah. Like you just realize how tragic it is the whole time. Once you've really like read it once which I just find really interesting because like an audience doesn't get that second read. They just have to think about it. So they get that whole like retracing steps kind of like feeling of like thinking back over the play and being like, oh, that thing that I thought was so funny was like really not funny. Maybe that's why Chekhov did it. He wanted to sell tickets. Yeah, <laughs> totally. To get people to come a second time. That's yeah. it. <laughs> what I really enjoy about these is how melodramatic everything is and how they literally just say everything they feel. <laughs>
But I also noticed that like they either just say they're bored or they're tired. So it's like whatever they're feeling, they don't really have the language to like show what they're feeling. They just it just comes out as "Mm, I don't know. I think bored or tired. Either of those two. I like how in like all of his plays, he just kind of has the same characters, (laughs) and then it's just a little bit of a different plot, and you're like, oh yeah. It's okay. funny, like, knowing the shows a little bit and being like, oh, I feel like I know this character because they're in everything. <laughs> I, always, I always think that makes it seem like he's writing about people he knew because you know how you have a handful of people that you're like, oh, man, they would make a great character. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, if you're writing a play, you're like, mm, yeah, I'm going to use some of the things that person does. Like, I feel like that's probably what was going through his head. I think it's so interesting, too, like, how modern this really is. Like, Basically, Ivana's just, like, super, super depressed. Like, that's just, like, like, it's so clear to me. And, like, but, like, the way he talks about it, like, it's just fascinating. Like, they they don't have, like, a lot of vocabulary to say how they're feeling, but they also, like, talk about it all the time. It's, like, all they talk about. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really sad, because, like, I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, but, like, you can see it, like with just like depression or like general like confusion about mental health like people always want it to be like about something Mm -hmm. I think that's like what that's partly what's happening here is like all these people are like you're sad like okay like (laughs) you know and he's like yes I'm profoundly sad like that is in and of itself like an experience that I'm having and no one else gets it because they're not having that experience and that's just, like, it feels like a very, like, complex and, like, accurate way mm-hmm. to talk about, like, being a person who has depression and being a person who doesn't have depression and, like... I feel like this could actually be, like, I read this when I was, like, like four years ago, like, pre-college and, like, obviously I'm still very young, but reading this as, like, an 18-year-old or, like, a 17-year-old, I was, like, oh my god, this guy is, like, so, I don't know, just, like, I just, like, had a completely different perspective of this play, and now, like, rereading it, like, four or five years later, I'm, like, oh my god, I knew people, I know people like that, like, it's definitely, like, I can see people taking a lot out of this, and some people taking, like, very little from it, too, it's fascinating. I really liked the line, um, I think it's an act two, where Anna says something along the lines, um, to say that he's a good man because his actions will show it, or a good man will never have to say he's a good man. And, yeah, and, and then, like in Act Three, Ivanov tells Sasha, "It's like I'm a good man." Oh, um, yeah. That change from like where everybody said he's a good man, and then everybody quit saying it, and he has to start saying it about himself. Yeah, um, really interesting, especially in like today's like social climate. Everybody has to like almost prove their morality at times. Yeah. Hmm. Wait, you guys, was Anna actually sick? Like, I'm so, I feel like I'm so confused about that because, like, maybe she really did have consumption, but Shabelsky was like, she's not sick. The doctor just, like, wants to flirt with her. No, Shabelsky's just an asshole. Right. Shabelsky is literally, like, a (laughs) COVID-19 denier. No, no, but she's, like, like, in love with Anna. (laughs) I think that he's like he's like an asshole, but his like his like only like golden like area is that he was either in love with Anna or like thought of her as a daughter. Isn't he supposed to be like insanely anti-Semitic though? Like, which yeah. okay, that's what I've always heard. But 
for me, reading his jokes or, like, hearing his jokes, like, maybe it's just because we're more accepting of, like, insulting jokes now, but, like, his jokes don't seem that bad. Like, they're about her being Jewish, but they're not, like, cruel. They're just, like, related to the fact that she's Jewish, you know? It's like, it's like, like, when people would, like, do, like, Asian accents. I feel like it's that kind of thing. Mm. So, like, Asian I didn't, I didn't do the accent because I didn't know how to do it. It was... That's fine. Who knew how Russians did Jewish accents in- Yeah, what would be a Russian Jewish accent? They spelled Y-V-Y and I was like, isn't that how Russians do it? Well, it would probably just be like, like, Y, like- Like the way it was translated. Almost, um, Yiddish, you know, or definitely- Yiddish is German. Yiddish is from German. That's what I'm saying. It was probably Yiddish. That's the vibe that I got from that text. Mm. Probably. That's definitely what Jews spoke then. Um, I have to run. I have to go to Passover Seder, speaking of Jews. <laughs> Happy Passover. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Wish, wish your family a wonderful Passover from us, too. Well, Talk to it you was soon. so nice to meet you all and fun to read with you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Stay safe and healthy. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 I'm going to go. It was great reading with you guys. It was really yeah, fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. Bye. Yeah. Everybody. All right. Good night, everyone. Great job. Thanks. Thanks a lot.